When I was young, I liked to jump off things. Any, any other jumpers around here? A few others? Confess. When I was 12, uh, I jumped off the roof. And um, see, my friends and I, we'd gone over to the store and we bought one of those, uh, a bunch of those rubber band powered airplanes. And we were having a contest to see whose could go the highest and the farthest. Well, mine went up on the roof. So I climbed up to get it. And then I wound that thing up as tight as I could get it and let it go. Now, it may have been cheating, but mine went the highest and the farthest. <laughs> so I declared myself the winner. I won. And then, with an audience waiting below, I jumped off the roof. <laughs> now, um, you know, uh, it wasn't one of the brightest things that I ever done. And um, uh, it's not something my parents would have permitted. I could just imagine that conversation. Uh, Mom, Dad, can I jump off the roof? But I was 12, right? And I could, was free to do whatever I wanted. So, uh, so I jumped off the roof. And besides, how are my parents going to find out anyway? So, so uh, as I was speeding towards the ground, my friends cheering me on, it all seemed like a great idea in the moment, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, then I landed awkwardly, most of my weight falling on one of my ankles. And I crumpled to the ground, couldn't get back up. So a few hours in the emergency room and a few x-rays revealed that I had a badly sprained ankle. The problem with all that was that I was supposed to go to summer camp the next day. So I spent that week hobbling around on crutches, unable to do any of the things that I really was looking forward to do because I jumped off the roof. I was free to do whatever I wanted to do, I thought, at 12. Uh, unfortunately, my pride got in the way of my brain, uh, which has happened a few other times in my life. And uh, I ended up using my freedom to do something that hurt me. I jumped off the roof. So I'm uh, not so proud of that particular accomplishment. The book of Galatians is about freedom. And uh, as we've been going through this sermon series, we see that Jesus plus nothing sets us free. He sets us free from sin, and he sets us free from the demand to perform in order to be accepted. God loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way that he has found us. And it's an experience of his love, an intimate experience of his love, that's eventually going to lead us away from our desire to sin. So the question that really pops up at the end of the book of Galatians is, how do free people live? How do free men and women live now that they've been set free? And Paul's answer is interdependently. Now, my wife and I celebrated our 23rd anniversary this last week. Uh, it was quite an accomplishment, more uh, accolades to her than uh, to me. And uh, we went river rafting. We had a blast. Now, the first thing you do when you go river rafting is you, you sign a waiver. <laughs> How American is that, right? In case you fall out of the raft, hit your head on a rock, drown, that sort of thing, sign a waiver, you know. Well, the next thing we did, uh, they, gave, they gave us something helpful. They gave us a, a life vest and some paddles to row with. Then they put us in the raft with four other people, a guide, and shoved us out in the river. And then you know what they did? They trained us. I mean, we started to practice. Because it turns out, rowing is this team experience. 
Uh, individual performance and personal strength really don't matter out there in the water. What matters is that you row as a team. Everyone rowing together in the same motion, the same direction, we're a team, right? You get that image? And it turns out that's what works. When we got in a jam, the leader would, uh, or guide would yell out some maneuver, and when we all rowed together, well, then we'd make it through the jam. It was great. But... <laughs> So also, when we weren't paying attention, when one or two or three of us was off who knows where, and we all started sort of rolling separate from one another, well, then we got all messed up, bumped into a few rocks, ended up on a few of them, stuck. Then the team leader would yell out, row as a team. We were a team. Turns out, as Paul is talking about in this passage, freedom is a team sport. Now, um, this whole talk about interdependence, about depending on other people and walking with other people, that makes a lot of us uncomfortable. I can just tell right now, I don't need anybody. Because there is within us this spirit of independence, right? Fr Frank uh, Sinatra wrote it this way, I've loved, I've laughed and cried, I've had my fill, my share of losing, but now as tears subside, I find it all so amusing. To think I did all that, and may I say, not in a shy way, oh no, oh no, not me, I did it. My way. Now, we can do better than that. Over in the other service are singing Bon Jovi, It's My Life, and they were loud. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. My That's right. There is within us this spirit of independence. It's just core to the fabric of who we are as American people, right? It just runs through the core. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness has become life is liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And pretty much, it's kind of a solo act in order to get all that. We really don't need a lot of people to help us out, or at least we're, we're not looking for a lot of people to help us out. No one wants to get caught singing the theme song to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, right? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day in this neighborhood. Would you, could you be mine, my neighbor, right? No one really is looking to do that so much these days because we are a people who are committed to independence. Now, maybe life for you today, this morning, is feeling like a solo jump. Maybe it's your marriage or maybe it's a job. Maybe you're carrying a load right now that just feels way too heavy for you to be carrying alone. Or maybe it feels like you've just hit the ground. This message today is not about doing anything that is going to risk our freedom. Because the formula for freedom is Jesus plus nothing. Let's try that again. Jesus plus nothing. Nothing else sets us free. Our eternal salvation is secure. But what this message is about is finding the fulfillment that God intends for us as we live this free life this side of heaven. So let's take a look at what the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage. Now he starts off in verse 1. He says, if someone is caught in a sin, now I think the, past, the, the scripture that uh, we read in the RSV uh, said something like if someone is discovered in a sin. It makes it look like all these people are walking around looking, you know. Ah, there's somebody, there's somebody. That's not the meaning of this passage. The meaning of the passage is if someone is caught, if someone trips up, if someone slips up in sin. See, sin happens. That's the way it is in a fallen world. 
I mean, every Sunday, this room is full of people who have slipped up, messed up, and let other people down, right? We, nobody is perfect. That's not an excuse. It's a reality. We are imperfect people. That's you, and that's me. No one of us has it all together. Now, Denzel Washington was promoting his film, uh, The Great Debaters, and he was on kind of this national circuit. He was speaking on uh, a morning talk show. And uh, while he was talking, he, he spoke of the influence that his mother has had in his own life, uh, particularly in helping him keep his pride and ego in check. And so he said, I walked in the house one day, and feeling full of myself, a movie star and all, I said to my mother, did you ever think this was all going to happen? She was like, please. <laughs> First of all, go wash the windows for me. You have no idea how many people have been praying for you when you were being a knucklehead. <laughs> I love that. No one of us has it all together, do we? Now, when I was, when I was young, I tried to pull it off in the other service when I was younger, and they were like, uh, not, not so much, pal. So when I was young uh, and newly married, my, um, I, I made this decision that really upset my wife. And uh, I just thought she was being selfish. Well, I happened to run into uh, uh, an older man in the mall one day, a man that was older than me, a man that had been married longer than me. And uh, he asked me how I was doing. Now, he also was kind of a coach and a mentor to me. So I, I told him how selfish my wife was being. <laughs> well, he didn't buy that at all. And he cut right to the matter, the heart of the matter. He said, why would you make any decision that would upset your wife so much? Why would you do something that she didn't really want you to do? Well, <laughs> he was right. And uh, more than that, he gave me the opportunity to go back to my wife to apologize and to try and make a bad situation right. Because he'd spoken into my life. He'd taken the courage to speak into my life. You see, we need significant relationships with other people where we can be transparent enough to share with them the places where we're struggling, to share with them some of our character defects or, or faults, and to be transparent enough or humble enough where we can receive some healing without feeling condemnation. We need significant relationships where we've given people the right, the freedom to speak into our lives in a way where uh, they'll help us not only recognize but acknowledge our shortcomings. And we need significant relationships with people that we can trust so that when they speak into our lives, we can receive what they have to offer us. Because we find fullness when we're free to receive what others have to offer. We also find fullness when we're free to care. And Paul writes then in the next verse, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Now, when I was a pastor in uh, my previous church, one of the leaders of that church was uh, diagnosed with cancer. Now, her son and daughter were very involved in the life of the church. Her husband uh, wouldn't darken the doors, wouldn't be caught dead in church. He'd never been to church. But the prognosis wasn't good. And, uh, boy, it was devastating for everybody involved, the family, people in the church. Well, the church responded by a number of folks signing up to uh, give dinner, uh, to, to provide meals for the family. 
And, uh, and then others babysat in the evening so he could go visit her in the hospital. And uh, they tutored the kids, helped them with their homework. There were a few that, that called him and sort of befriended him and developed a, a relationship with him. Others provided as much care, support, and prayer for her as they possibly could as she was going through this. Well, that care and that encouragement and that support of the church continued on even after her death. And he, exp- he, he um, sort of explained that whole experience as feeling like he was being carried through her illness. Uh, eventually, um, he, he showed up in church one Sunday morning because he said that he, he'd never seen anything like what he was receiving and felt that uh, he wanted to be part of a community that cared and supported for others the way that that church had cared and supported for him. And it wasn't long before he gave his life to Jesus Christ. You see, carrying his burdens, the church helped this man see Jesus in a way that he had never seen Jesus before. But it did something else for the church. Suddenly, the whole compassion level of the church went up. And they were looking for ways to care and support one another. They started different support groups. They started a healing service for people to come and get prayed for emotionally and physically, uh, getting healing. They developed a counseling uh, service. See, they, they started all these different ministries as a way of caring and supporting one another. By, by caring for this one family's burden, not only did it change this one man's life, but it changed the church so that it became more of a caring and supportive place. You see, independence tells us that we can do it on our own, doesn't it? We don't need any help. But it also tells us that other people probably don't want our help either. And so we disengage. In fact, we often look for other people to step in and help so that we don't have to. Psychologists call that diffusion of responsibility. But look at what happens to us. Look at what happens to us. What happens to us is that we get isolated. We get isolated from significant relationships. We get isolated from the loads that other people are carrying. And the grand prize for all that is that we slowly lose our ability to care. Carrying other people's loads is God's cure for heart problems. It sets us free to care. So we're free to receive. We're free to care. Moving further down the passage, Paul writes in verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good. And then verse 10 he says, therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people. Now, Mark Laberton is the pastor at First Press Berkeley, and he tells the story of going to a worship service one Sunday morning and being captured by the enthusiasm of this worship leader. Uh, this worship leader opened the service in prayer, then stepped down off the platform, turned around facing the band, closed his eyes, and began passionately praising the Lord. In fact, he was so caught up in his own experience of worship that for the next two hours, he repeatedly kept dancing and stepping all over the feet of the people standing behind him. He didn't even know they were there. It was like they didn't exist. You see, for him, worship was this personal encounter with God. Do you hear that spirit of independence even in worship? It was just just between that guy and God to the point where he had lost touch of all the people around him, was neglecting them, even stepping on their feet. And you should have seen their response, their reaction. 
they weren't too happy with the guy, getting more and more frustrated with him. And really, that ties into one of the laws of life. You get out of life what you put into it. When you step all over people's toes, guess what? They're not going to be too happy with you. Paul says, you reap what you sow. You see, if I care for the people around me, those who are close to me or whomever, then most likely they're going to care for me. And when I neglect my wife and forget some of the things that she asked me to do, not that I have ever done that, <laughs> guess what happens? You see, it's what, we, it's what we give, not what we get, that matters most in life. Paul says, do good. Whenever you have the opportunity, do good. And the unintended consequence of doing good is joy and a sense of significance. Now, uh, four years ago, I went with a team from our church to Rwanda. And while we were there, we preached the gospel to a whole room of street kids, a number of whom gave their life to, to uh, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The next year when we returned, a couple of those kids were waiting to speak with me. Uh, they told me that they had given their life to Christ a year before, that they had been faithful to their commitment to stay off drugs and to stay away from a life of crime. But they still didn't have a job, and they still didn't have a place to live. They were still on the street. And they wanted to know what I was going to do about that or what I could do about that. Well, I didn't have much of a response, really. And it was this crummy, terrible feeling. Well, we have an answer now, don't we? Because as a result of the Ripple Effect campaign and the partnership that we have with African Evangelist Enterprise, this Center for Champions has been built, a facility that can uh, house 300 children, street kids, and a facility that has, dorm, uh, has a classroom space and dining hall space enough for another 300 kids. Well, this last June, there was a team that left from this church to be involved in the grand opening of the Center for Champions. Now, as we were going, we learned that uh, the street kids weren't going to be there because um, th there wasn't enough staff and um, program uh, ready for the street kids. So there was a soccer game play, uh, plan the day before the opening ceremony so we could meet the kids and so we could embarrass ourselves uh, playing soccer, which we did. But that evening, as we got back to the uh, housing uh, where we were staying, uh, we'd learned there'd been a change in plans, and the street kids were being bussed up to the Center for Champions so they could be there for that next day. And I got to tell you, when we arrived that next day, it was really something. And looking out at this campus, enormous campus, with new buildings and uh, former street kids now dressed in in new clothes, with new shoes, and big smiles on their faces. You know, we've taken us by the hand. They led us down to the dormitory, showed us their rooms, their beds. There aren't a lot of words to describe what that meant. And I think there were two overwhelming feelings for me. One was a sense of gratitude. You know, our, just our, our team being so grateful that God would allow us to be there for such a moment like that, that we could be part of a project that was doing so much for these street kids. And then a sense of significance that, you know, that is one of the most significant events of my life. I mean, I will always remember that. But I also remember this, wishing that you were there. Really. That wasn't just our moment as a team to enjoy. That was 
That was your moment because of your faithfulness to the Ripple Effect campaign. You pulled those kids off the street when you gave to that campaign. You built a dormitory for them when you gave to that campaign. You gave them beds, you gave them food, you gave them classrooms to, to learn in. You gave them a future and a hope. You made all of that happen for those kids. And I just wanted you to capture the joy and the sense of significance that your life has brought to those kids. You see, it's not what we get. It's what we give in life that matters. And when we open our eyes and we serve the people in the world around us, the unintended consequence of that is a sense of joy and a sense of significance. Now, the book of Galatians is about freedom. Jesus came to set us free, free from sin, free from the constant demand to perform in order to be accepted. But we travel along this path of freedom, and as we travel along that path of freedom, we need other people to experience the fullness of that freedom Christ has set us for. We need other people to help us grow in it, to help us uh, understand it, to help us experience it, this free life that Jesus offers us. And Jesus didn't just talk about freedom, he lived it. His ministry wasn't just a solo act, was it? He had intimacy with the Heavenly Father, and he had significant relationships with a group of devoted followers around him who received the blessing of his ministry, who helped carry the load, and who served other people. So I wonder, what is God inviting you to this morning? Maybe it's to invite a small group of significant relationships into your life. Or maybe you have a small group, and so for you, it's the need to be vulnerable with them. Take some risks. Invite them into at a level into your life like you never have before and ask them for help. Maybe God's inviting you to help carry the load of someone close by. Or maybe God is showing you a situation or a circumstance where you can serve. Independence does not take away our freedom. But what it does is it makes this journey that we are on a lot less fulfilling because it edges God out, because it blocks us from other relationships, and ultimately ends up isolating us. Don't settle for crutches when all you really need is to ask some good friends for the latter. Freedom is a team sport.